today we're going to go to the book of James and we're going to look at at chapter 5 and we're just going to consider one verse today as we continue on looking at this idea of how our faith works, how the things that, that God does in our lives through his word have tangible consequences or or actions that go along with them through his work. And so let's look today at James chapter 5 and verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Lord, we thank you for the chance now we have to open your word to look at it today, to study it, and we ask that you would use it in our hearts today. We ask that you would quiet our hearts and our minds. No doubt, Lord, there are things in our lives we're, we're thinking about that we have going on, maybe even this afternoon or this week, and we ask that you would just set aside those distractions, that you would help us to sit patiently before you and to hear what you have to tell us. Lord, we undoubtedly have our own struggles and things that we have brought in to the service this morning, questions we've asked you, uh, things we've laid at your feet, or things that we're struggling to give to you. And we ask that right now you would help us to understand that you care about us and you love us and you want to use your word in our hearts today. And we ask that you would soften us, that you would make us moldable, and that you would make us ready to respond. I pray for one who hears your word today, who doesn't know you as Savior, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would show them the hope of the gospel. Lord, I pray for Christians that you would help us to not hold so tightly onto the things of this life or the things that we think we, we deserve or we want, that we neglect to submit ourselves and our lives fully, surrendering them to you, to be used of you. And we ask that we would walk out of this place different than when we came in today because we have heard your truth proclaimed and you have done your work in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Something we learn at a very early age is that not everyone is as truthful as we hoped they would be. Siblings bartering with one another that they really will give the other person a turn in a minute. Or friends disagreeing on what bargain was struck at the beginning of the game. And things like this, they lead to what? They lead to playground promises and playroom pledges, don't they? I remember as a young boy encountering such, such, a, such another young boy like this at my grandmother's house. He lived across the street. And, and I, ever seeking a new friend, especially when you, know, you go visit your grandmother's house and your friends aren't around, you're looking for somebody else to play with. We engaged, I engaged with him and we began to, to, to do you know, whatever little kids do running around, you know. And before too long, it became apparent that he didn't always mean what he said he meant. He didn't always mean to do what he said he would do. And I remember him that evening, it just came back to me this week very clearly of him trying to convince me that he really was serious when he looked me in the eye and he said, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a motorcycle in my eye. Now, this may surprise you, but he broke his word after that. And that led me wondering, where is that motorcycle? I'm going to make good on this promise, right? Deception and lies seem to be the norm of our lives today. Our world seems to be caught up in this. You know, that need to get something in writing seems to be an ever-present thing. 
And as we look around in the world that defaces truth, it becomes downright discouraging and disheartening. And, you know, sometimes we think to ourselves, whatever happened to people's integrity? But, as usual, you and I are really good at pointing the finger other places and failing to look in our own hearts. For yes, while the world has become less consumed with truth, so have God's people. We are prone to deception and lies just as much as anyone else. And here, James addresses this today in the continuing admonishment to a faith that works. He calls the Christians of his day, who are there in the church of Jerusalem, and he calls on us today to this, this end, to, to live lives that are full of living truth, because we have been changed by the God of truth. And what we see is that because our sovereign God is truth, I must reflect this same truth in all aspects of my life. God's nature of truth requires something of his followers. It requires that we also live lives of truth. In the things that we say to other people, in the things that we say to God, in the things that we say to our own hearts. We're going to dig into this as we go, but I think that one of the biggest people that we lie to over and over again isn't someone else in our lives, it is our own selves. That we tell ourselves that we're okay. That we tell ourselves that God doesn't care. That we tell ourselves over and over again. And what we need to do is go back to the word of God and see what he has to say. And understand that truth begins and ends with him. And so here James begins this call to to a life of truth with this very simple statement that we need to abandon deception in our lives. He says here the first part of verse 12, Above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. James says that, that there is a primary place here to this command. As James comes to the end of this letter, we're going to find here over the next couple of weeks some final admonitions. And unsurprisingly, if you followed along in the book of James as we've studied through it, or you've read through the book of James, then it won't surprise you at all to find that James here speaks again on the tongue. He speaks on our speech. James has just given, last week we looked at this call for patience in trials because of the Lord's imminent return. But living in light of God's patience is reflected then in how we conduct our lives. And how we live and what we claim to be true in our lives then should be reflected in how we speak. James has dealt with the topic of the tongue on more than one occasion. We saw that he dealt with it in chapter 1. We looked at the the treatise on the tongue in the first 12 verses of chapter 3. And he's dealing with it here again because there is so much to this little member. James draws great attention to his readers with this statement. He says, above all, my brethren... And what he's saying is that followers of Christ are to, con- to give continual uh, uh, um, attention and heed to how we speak. Because it is so easy for us to grow careless in this area. It is so easy to give ourselves a pass on certain areas of our speech. You know, maybe what happens is that we focus really, really hard on certain things, but we just kind of give ourselves a pass, we kind of neglect other things. Well, if I really work on this, I don't really need to work or worry about that. And we have to realize that this, this growth is a continuing process in the Lord. 
We need to stay in tune with the Lord and ask him to continue to convict us of sin if we are his own. There is always room to grow and learn. There is always more to learn from from God's word, no matter how many times we've read the passages. We need to continually then examine our lives against the word of God. And understand that our words, the words that you say, the words that you type, the things that you think through, that go through your mind, these are a true indicator of what's going on in your heart. As we said before, it's not about a speech problem, it's about a heart problem. Because what we're saying is just an indication of what's going on right here and what's most important. What's coming out of your mouth is just an indication of the things that you're wrestling with or the things that you refuse to give to God or the good things that God is doing in your life. And James here has specific application of God's truth to our lives and how that truth should affect us. And so James begins this here with an all-out prohibition here about these, these oaths that he's talking about. James prohibits believers from swearing oaths to one another. And that's, that's, what we mean, that's what he means here when he says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. This is you know, not the filthy speech and the words that we typically associate with this word. When we talk about swearing, we use that in a different context today. Now, Paul does deal with that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. If you want to look there on your own time and see that, you'll see that that is dealt with in Scripture as well. But this is speaking really against a complicated system the Jewish people had developed when it came to oath-taking. Again, we have to understand the historical context of James. He is one of the earliest writers of the New Testament. And so he's still dealing with even a lot of things that Jesus himself dealt with when he was here on earth. In James's day, written contracts really did not exist. So instead, people would swear oaths to one another to bind agreements. And we understand that practice today. We, we understand that if you enter, enter any type of transaction of any real value, you're going to be asked to sign a document binding you to the terms of that agreement. How many of you in here have, have ever bought a house? Okay, and immediately, upon seeing all the paperwork, wish you hadn't bought a house, right? Because if you had to take out money for that house, you signed your life away, your, your children's lives away, whatever, right? You, you signed it all because they're going to make sure that you understand this is binding. This is a binding agreement. And sad to say, as time has gone on, those contracts have grown more involved and become more necessary for things we never thought we'd need them for. I mean, have you ever had to sign a document for something and you thought, I've never had to sign for this before, right? Because of the way our world works. And so scripture, and even James here, is not speaking against such practices in a broken, sinful world. We have to understand that in the context of a broken, sinful world, there is a necessity for us to have these types of contracts and agreements. It's just the way that it has to be. There are oaths that we take in our world today that we understand by the same principle. Um, if, you've ever, you know, if you ever go to court and you're asked to testify in court, you're going to have to make an oath that you're going to tell the truth. Or if you get married, you give oaths that you'll be faithful to this person and other circumstances like this. No, what is James speaking against then? He is speaking against the misuse of oaths or taking them flippantly and thoughtlessly. Throughout Scripture, we see men of God engaging in legitimate oaths. Men like Abraham 
or the two spies who were sent into Jericho, or King David, or the Israelites as a whole, as a nation, or or the Apostle Paul. These are some people who entered into legitimate oath before the Lord. And God, in his law to his people in the Old Testament, required that they take an oath in certain circumstances. In Exodus chapter 22, we find that here's an example of such a one. There's one here who, who has had an animal that he was keeping for another, for another, and something is wrong with the animal, or it gets stolen or taken away, or it dies. And we see in Exodus 22, verses 10 and 11, if a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good." So what's, what's this saying here, that, that if you're keeping this animal for someone else and something happens to it, and nobody else is around to witness it, but you say, hey, I, I, didn't do, I didn't drive it off, I didn't kill it, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not having steak tonight, you know, or anything like that, what, what, do you, what does he say? Well, he's to go before the Lord and make this oath, that this is what is true. And what is God requiring his people to do? He's requiring them to make God the, the judge of these things. There was also uh, such, an, such an oath to be taken when one was suspected of adultery. There was, in, there was also in God's law the Nazarite vow that one could make before the Lord. And, and, and in all of these, God's expectation of these oaths is always the same. That all oaths and all vows were to be, that were made before him were to be kept. And God takes promises of honesty before him or promises made to him Very seriously. And for one who made oaths under the law of God and broke them, there were very serious consequences. When you make a promise before the omniscient God, you open yourself up to the greatest accountability there is. We make promises to other people that we have no intention of keeping, and we think, well, they'll never know. You can't do that to God. And if we know the Lord, we shouldn't do that to other people as well. God himself has made oaths and vows about himself and his work. And God is a God of truth who always keeps his word. The writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 17, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them the end, an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. When God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, for he is the greatest. And he kept his word to Abraham. He was faithful to these things. So therefore, swearing oaths and making promises are not entirely forbidden. But we must, we must understand that these are to be used carefully and in the right circumstances. And what James is saying here is that oaths to other people should not be things that are needed in our everyday lives. And indeed, in James' day, this is exactly what was happening. In fact, in this passage, in James chapter 5 and verse 12, James all but echoes the words of his half-brother Jesus 
and, and, and as, he, as Jesus preached in his Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 and 30, through 37, Jesus said, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And as Jesus went through this sermon that we have recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, as he preached these things about God, he also had to correct things that the people had been taught by their so-called religious experts. Along the way, the rabbis had begun to teach and they had, been, they had, they had built up a system to allow for what we may call outside oaths. And these outside oaths that came outside of, of what God's law talked about, they allowed for uh, them to, to not carry as much weight as oaths before God. So therefore, if it didn't carry as much weight, it could be broken. And nothing was wrong with that, for they were not truly made before God. And James says, well, this is simply untrue. Because it doesn't matter what you use when you invoke an oath, it all belongs to God. Jesus further condemns this practice later in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and, all, and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Whatever you use to invoke your oath, James says, and Jesus had said, is in the dominion of God. And as such, you have brought God into the transaction. These oaths were thoughtless. They were just thoughtless things that people said. But at the same time, they were also very thought out. Because if you said it in just the right way, if you use just the right wording, then at the end of the day, you could say, you know, I don't really have to keep that. Because I said the right things, or I worded it the right way. You know, I've got this way out. You know what it sounds a lot to me like? It sounds a lot to me like the kids on the playground saying, well, I had my fingers crossed, Right? I didn't really mean it. And that's exactly what's going on here. It's just this thoughtless idea that I can go through life and say whatever I feel like in order to make people happy or in order to make people believe me so I can get my own way. It's not speaking truth. James calls then and commands followers of God, do not do this. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. We are to abandon, as followers of Christ, such practices. We are to instead take our words to others seriously. What we are to do instead, James says, is to embrace the truth. He says, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. This really is a simple truth, that what we say to others should be what we mean. And indeed, James, like our Lord, is very direct here. 
Your yes should be yes. And your no should be no. I love the way one pastor said it. It is a basic principle that true Christian character requires few words. If you are truly a follower of Christ and you truly live like Christ, you don't need a lot of words and fancy things piled up to convince people that you really are godly. Our God is the God of truth. He is truth itself. So everything that is right is defined by him. And his followers are called to reflect the same. And if you need some sort of oath to make yourself seem truthful, then you, my friend, are not a person of integrity. Liars are those who need such promises. And we throw that title around, we throw that label around, right? Well, I'm not a liar. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to... Well, what is a liar? Because I think sometimes, again, we pigeonhole, we pigeonhole what, what, what non-integrity and what lying is. So obviously, first and foremost, a liar is someone who tells something that is not true. That's typically what we think of, right? Well, I went and did this, and this happened when that didn't really happen, Right? Or we're going to go here when we're not really going to go there. Or the fish was that big when the fish was that big, right? But a liar is also someone who says he will do something and does not do it. Hey, don't worry, I'll I'll take care of that. And it doesn't happen. Or "I'll, I'll be there for that and they don't do it. Or I'll be here at such and such time or I'll do this or I'll do that. That's a liar. A liar is one who consistently shows he cannot keep his word. When they say they're going to take care of something and they don't do it. When they say they really are something and they aren't that. When they say they have this but they don't have that. When they, This is a liar. A liar is also someone who claims that he is one thing while he is not and is something differently, different entirely. A liar, though, is also someone who manipulates conversations and relationships and situations to keep others feeling like they owe him something. Manipulation is just another form of lying. I am in control of this situation, and no matter what it says, I will remain in control. And when I lose control, I will say whatever it is I need to say to bring you back under me, and I will remain in control. That's lying, folks. Because we are not in control. God is in control. And we are not in control of other people. And we do all of these things. We do these things in our lives all while making excuses. Or all while coming up with reasons why we're okay. Now, in some of these cases, you know, we sit around and think, yeah, I told somebody I'd be somewhere and I didn't make it. Because is it possible that real things are going to come up in life and keep us from from, from fulfilling our word that we gave to somebody else. Yeah. You know what the difference is between a liar and someone who's a person of integrity? A person of integrity tells it like it is. Hey, you know what? I told you I'd be there, and I, I did not leave my house when I should have. And you own it. Or, this is exactly what happened, and we lay it out. This is exactly what happened. What does a liar do? Well, you know how it is. The Beaverton traffic, you know. Got behind the tractor today, you know. 
Or you know how it is, I'm always with so-and-so, and they're always, right? A person of truth is willing and able to speak the truth. I was wrong when I did blank, and therefore did not keep my word. A truthful person needs not explain away wrongdoing, but admits the wrongdoing and seeks forgiveness. That's integrity. Integrity doesn't mean living a life of perfection, but living a life of consistency. Doing the things that are right. This is the life of a true follower of Christ. See, lying is, is the norm for someone who doesn't know Christ as Savior. Lying is, is normal for someone who doesn't have a true relationship with God because he will say whatever he thinks he needs to say in order to make other people happy because the goal isn't to please God. The goal is to make my life hunky-dory and, and just keep it smooth sailing. So I'll just say whatever I need to say to other people. He will say whatever he needs to keep others on his side or, or catering to him. He will say whatever he needs to, to satiate and salve his own conscience. And he will say whatever he needs to say to keep others in his debt. But this is not to be found in the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If I can be very direct, because the scripture is very direct, okay, and that's where our authority comes from. Stop lying to other people. Tell the truth. Stop lying to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, to your friends, to your leaders, and anyone else. Stop lying to yourself. Stop telling yourself you're okay and you're not going to get found out. And most importantly, stop lying to God. Stop telling him you don't really need to change or surrender yourself to his way of thinking and living. Instead, live a life of open truthfulness. Followers of Christ who seek the integrity of Christ aren't afraid to live their lives in the light. Liars prefer to live their lives in the dark. So be honest with yourself and with God. Because he knows you inside out already. So what is he calling us to do? He's calling us to take an accurate view of ourselves. All of our conversation should reflect the change that Christ has brought about in us. And so our language and our use of language must change to honor him. And there is no room for dishonesty in the kingdom of God. And on this, like any other sin, God brings great judgment. James says in the second part of verse 12, lest you fall into judgment. And just because something may be common doesn't make it right. Words are used in an overabundance in our society. Have you noticed that? That as the age of the internet has taken off, there just seem to be more words than we have the ability to process. And as, as we have given place to the rise of things like social media, which I'm not here to condemn social media because some of you liked my post on Facebook yesterday, okay? But we begin to think, well, hey, talk is cheap. Everybody talks. And even more so, words are used in a dishonest way in our culture. 
But as Christians, we need to put a high premium on truth. The theologian Wayne Grudem in his book Systematic Theology said, in a society that exceedingly, it is, is exceedingly careless with the truthfulness of spoken words, we as God's children are to imitate our creator and take great care to be sure our words are always truthful. God not only hears all our words and knows all our motives, but he is also the judge of all the earth. And as the judge, he will not stand idly by. But those who are dishonest will fall under his judgment. Jesus, again, was very clear about this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For, your word, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In the day of God's final judgment, we need look no further than the words that come out of your mouth for vindication or judgment. For if we have by our, by our words confessed and repented from our sin and placed our trust in Jesus Christ, we will then, by our words, live a life that reflects Jesus Christ. But if we, by our words, have rejected God and, and, and have shown in our lives a pattern of one who has nothing to do with God, but instead we live our lives in the way James has talked about here and we speak in such a way, there will be nothing that we need to call on other than the things we have said. And because God is the ultimate judge, and because God is eternal and knows all things, talk is not cheap, but it has great value because it shows who we are. And here we have the necessity in our lives of fruit once again. An interesting word James here uses here, the end of verse 12, uses this word judgment. This word, this Greek word, is not used in the scriptures ever to refer to the chastening or the discipline of believers, but it is instead used to talk about God's judgment of unbelievers. And we say, well, why does James use this word then? Because God's point is very clear that untruthful speech, that lives that do not possess integrity do not characterize the lives of Christians. And if your life involves a habitual pattern of untruth and you feel nothing in your heart about it, then you, my friend, need to examine what is going on in your heart. Because followers of God are called to reflect God in all things. And God's very nature is truth. Therefore, all our dealings must be in truth. I'm not here to tell you That if you're a follower of God, you're going to live a perfect life. Oh, I wish that were true. You know, if that were true, we wouldn't need church, right? We wouldn't need the Word of God to continue work on our hearts. But we live still in this flesh. And so, yeah, we're going to struggle. And it is not wrong to struggle with sin. In fact, God wants us, with His help, to fight and wrestle against sin. But when sin is pervasive in our lives and God is not working on our hearts about that sin, it should bother us. Because God God calls his own to obedience. 
God doesn't leave us alone. When it, we have to admit that whatever it is we refuse to give to God is sin. And we have to act on it. That is dealing with our sin in truth. And sometimes God puts his finger on sin in our lives. Whatever that sin may be. And we don't deal with it in the way that, that God calls us to deal with it. We don't deal with it in a truthful way. Instead, we begin to make up reasons and excuses why we don't really need to change that. Or I don't really need to submit that to God. And God, isn't really what you meant by that. Or we begin to think of all of these ramifications. Well, if I admit that this is a problem, then, then this person's going to look down on me, or that person's going to say this, or this person's going to say that. And when we truly deal with sin the way God wants us to deal with it, we admit it, we confess it, we repent from it, and we don't worry about the supposed ramifications it may have on our lives because being right with God is all that matters. And when we speak to others, we give them only what is true and right. We don't make excuses or hide the facts. And we understand that truth is always best because truth is always right. And when we deal with this in this way, we, we live this way, that because our sovereign God is truth. I must reflect the same truth in all aspects of my life. Our God is the God of truth. He deals exclusively in truth that is balanced by his love. And the truth of ourselves is this, that we are sinful. In our natural state, we fall short of the holiness of God. And because of that, we fall under his righteous judgment. But the truth doesn't stop there. For our God is also a loving and gracious God who has provided a way for us to be right with him. And if you have never come to a personal belief in God through Jesus, you can do that today. You can know him as your personal Lord and as your Savior from your sin. And he will deliver you to a secure eternity and a new life on this earth. But that takes honesty with yourself before God. That you must admit you are a sinner and you must turn from that sin and from your own trust and instead turn yourself and your trust to him. And God will meet you there and he will give you this gift of eternal life. Christian, you are expected to live a life of honesty, of integrity, of truthfulness. You shouldn't need promises or heaps of words to convince other people that you're genuine. If you do, you're far away from your calling as a child of God. So this means that you must begin with honesty between yourself and the Lord. And when God deals with you in sin, you have to be honest with him about those things. And deal with them appropriately and without delay. A failure to live in the truth of God will result in you feeling far away from God. Sometimes that happens to us, even as, as people who, who, who follow the Lord. We say, well, I don't know where God is. I, I've talked to God and he's not around. And we, what we fail to do is we fail to, to deal with things the way God's told us to deal with them. And if you will not live in the truth of God... You cannot live 
in a way that dishonors God and expect to feel close to him. It's not possible. We must surrender whatever it is God has worked on you time and again and enjoy the incredible unbroken fellowship with him that is available to you. So very simply, how how do we draw close to God? By dealing in truth. As a sinner, saying to God truthfully, I am a sinner, and because of that I deserve your judgment. But I also believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done. I place my faith and trust in him. As a Christian, asking God to truly show us who we are and to truly show us what we need to change and then being ready to truly deal with it when he shows us, whatever it takes. And in so doing, we can live at peace with God and know the God of truth. Father, we thank you for your truthful word. We thank you that you show us exactly who we are. That, Lord, when we look into the mirror of God's word, we don't need to wonder or doubt if what we're seeing is accurate because we know that as the God of truth, you have authored only those things that are true. And Lord, we pray that as we live in a culture where the pervasive thought is not truth, that you would burden our hearts to always deal in truth. That it would start with a true assessment of ourselves before you. And that you would help us to give whatever it is we're struggling with to you. That you would help us to seek the help that we need from your word, from others if we need, that we would make things right, that we can truly live lives that reflect the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray again for those who who have heard these things, who have wrestled in their heart and soul with whether they even know you as their Savior, that you would hammer home to them the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has come to offer eternal life to sinners. Lord, what a glorious and wonderful truth. And we ask that you would help us as we live lives of truth to realize that in so doing, we can share the light of the gospel with others. I don't do this very often. I really don't. If you go here, you know that. But I'm just, I'm burdening my heart today that if there's something God has worked on your heart about, every head bowed and every eye is closed, and you would like me to just pray for you in general, I'm not going to call you by name, but God has been working on your heart about something, would you just slip up your hand and I will, I'll pray for you here in just a minute. Anybody like that at all, that you would, you would ask that God would, would continue to work in your heart? Okay, thank you. Lord, you, you know our hearts. I, I appreciate so much those who have been willing to say honestly, Lord, that you're working in our heart about something. And Lord, I ask that you would do your, your great and mighty work there. That you would continue to confront them with the truth of your word. That you would show them the hope that is there. 
and that you would show them the joy of an, of an unblocked, uh, of a free and open relationship with you, not hindered by unconfessed sin. Lord, I pray you would give them the courage and the boldness so that I don't know what they struggle with. Maybe there's someone they need to, to deal with personally. Maybe it's something they need to just deal with between you and them. Lord, I pray you would continue to give them the boldness to do so. We ask now as we close this service that we would honor you and glorify you in all that's said and done. In your name we pray.